Look in your Bibles at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's take a few minutes and think about what David wrote concerning the death of his son, the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we do that, let's look at 1 Peter 1, where Peter tells us that those Old Testament prophets had only an obscure view of what was coming. We know so much more. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. It was for us. They wrote obscurely about things that weren't yet for them, but they were for us. And they searched and made diligent search and inquired diligently and searched diligently what or what manner of time was involved in some of these prophecies, including his suffering and the glory that should follow, that it was for us and our time, not theirs. They were in the Old Testament, we're in the New. David's one of these prophets. The New Testament tells us that David was a prophet And so David searched diligently and inquired exactly what's going to take place. His view was obscure compared to ours. Let's look at his view. Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is a messianic psalm. A messianic psalm is a psalm where David wrote about the Messiah. The Messiah being Jesus Christ our Lord. His Son and His Lord. Psalm 16, you should know that it's a Messianic psalm because you read it last evening and because I told you it was. I just want one verse, verse 10. There's more about the Lord Jesus Christ than just verse 10, but I want verse 10. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now, we could say that David was referring to himself Slightly in this 10th verse, because God is not going to leave David's soul in hell forever, because David himself will be resurrected. But he's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, because the apostle Peter, on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, quotes this prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul, in Acts chapter 13, quotes this prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's very nice confirmation by two apostles of our Lord, that this is about our Savior. When we look at this verse, and I do not want to take long with these verses, I just want you to look at that verse, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. David, speaking on behalf of Jesus, points out that his confidence was God his Father would not leave his soul in hell, his body in the grave. If you don't know that, 
I've been a poor pastor. Because I'm going to pass right on over it and go to the next clause. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. One thing is being talked about here, and this is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The last part of verse 9, my flesh also shall rest in hope. Why would the flesh of Jesus Christ rest for three days and three nights in hope in the grave? Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Sometimes the soul is used for the body. It's synecdoche. When the, when the captain of a ship says, all hands on deck, will he allow an elbow? Please, let's not make the word of God complicated where it's not complicated. I want to ask you, why was the Holy One, the beloved Son, the only begotten Son of the Lord Jehovah, in a grave. Why do we have this verse? Why do we have the word leave? Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. How did his soul get in hell? How did his body get in the grave? My sins. Amen. We put him there. Right. We put him there. But do you know what the apostles love to preach? But God raised him from the dead. But God raised him from the dead. He was in that predicament because of us and for us. Let's relish that as we look at it and realize that when David wrote it, he refers to him in the first and second person. He refers to him in the third person. He's not sure exactly what he's writing about. We know exactly what he's writing about. Our Lord Jesus Christ in the tomb for 72 hours, three days and three nights because of our sins and for us, but God raised him from the dead. Look at Psalm 40. Psalm 40. Psalm 16 has wonderful things in it. It goes on to describe the fact that Jesus knew the joy that was set before him and the pleasures at God's right hand that he would enjoy if he were to submit to death on the cross. Now that death for our sins that put him in the grave, did he go there against his will or did he go there willingly? Willingly. When David died and when we die, we don't usually die willingly. We're fighting to survive and stay, but the Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life and here he's going to tell us that again from the pen of David by prophecy. And this is quoted by the Apostle Paul in Hebrews chapter 10. Psalm 40 and verse 6. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. We could read other verses here from this Messianic psalm about Jesus Christ as well. I just want these three verses here, verses 6 through 8. Paul uses them in Hebrews chapter 10 to point out to the Hebrews that their sacrificial system of animal sacrifices that they had engaged in for 1,500 years 
was not really what God wanted and did not satisfy God's justice. But there was one that came, the Lord Jesus Christ, and in the volume of the book, it is written of him from Genesis 3 to the end, we have it written about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would come and he came willingly. I come to do thy will, O God. So it tells us in Hebrews 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Because he came to do the will of God. In John chapter 10, where Jesus is preaching about being the good shepherd, he says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. My life is not taken from me. I lay it down of my own accord. It wasn't taken by the Romans. It wasn't taken by the Jews. He laid it down. He gave up the ghost. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. That is our Savior. That is our Lord. And David saw it obscurely and wrote these words. Paul uses them in Hebrews 10. We understand them perfectly. That Old Testament system never saved a single person. But the Lord Jesus Christ was the real sacrifice that fulfilled them all and saved us. Psalm 110. I know there's other things there in Psalm 40 that are good. And if you like them, I'm happy. Psalm 110. One verse. Verse 4. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Amen. Now this psalm presents Jesus Christ as king and priest. King and priest. Those two never mixed in Israel. All kings came from what tribe? Judah. All priests came from what tribe? Levi. They did not mix. This psalm has Jesus both. He's king in the first three verses. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. That's a king. The Lord said unto my Lord, but he's a priest in verse 4. And lest you be overwhelmed by that, let me tell you something. This king and priest has made every single one of you kings and priests unto his Father, which is our God in heaven. That is fantastic information. And it's conveyed here somewhat obscurely. If I was just to take you without any preaching that you'd ever heard and read you verse 4, who in the world is it talking about and what does it mean? A priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What's the order of Melchizedek? If you went to Theopedia and it didn't know the Bible, the Mormons would have an answer. Oh yes, the Mormons have an answer for this, but we have a better answer. We have a biblical answer. The point I want to get is David here is writing about a priesthood that was different than all the priests he had ever known in his life or ever read about in the Bible or was ever prescribed in the Bible in the book of Leviticus. David is writing against the tribe of Levi that there is a priest yet coming in the future that would be after the order of Melchizedek. What does the after the order of Melchizedek convey in its simplest terms? He never dies. 
every Levitical priest died and you lost your intercessor between you and God, Jesus Christ never dies. He's a perpetual priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now in this one verse, there's a something else implied. Thou art a priest. If you're a priest, you have to have an offering. You have to have a sacrifice. It's not stated. What is it? His own life. His own life. Poor David writes this verse, sees it obscurely, makes diligent search, inquires about it, does not know what or what manner of time this suffering is going to take place in the glory that shall follow, but we do. We do. Brother David, thank you for giving us these hints, but we're thankful to live on this side of the cross and to look back through Peter and Paul's efforts to explain these to us. That's a powerful verse. We can go straight in the presence of the Lord God Jehovah. We're not from Levi. And we're going to rule this entire universe with the Lord Jesus Christ and we're not from the tribe of Judah. We're blood brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ who's the Lord of David and who is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. We are kings and priests. One more. Psalm 22. Psalm 22. The Messianic Psalms. But they have to be about his death or I'm not bringing them up. So I'm leaving my favorite behind. Psalm 45 has to, leave, has to stay closed because it doesn't mention his death there. Now when we read through it, we know that his death is involved because how in the world could it say that the king shall greatly desire thy beauty? What makes us beautiful? But the sanctifying, perfecting work of the grace of God through the finished work of Jesus Christ clothing us in his perfect righteousness. It's there, but it's not stated enough. Here it is stated. The death and sufferings of our Lord. I hope that you read it last evening. Never forget Psalm 22. Let me prove to you that it is more graphic than the New Testament descriptions of Jesus' death on the cross. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and they describe various views of the cross and tell us some of the things that took place there. But the personal, first-person description of his thoughts, his anguish, and his pain, and what was happening inside his body and to his body is here. Now, would you say that's a pretty big blessing to David? To write in the first person on behalf of his son, Jesus Christ, the anguish that he was going to endure on the cross? Do you know that 1,000 years before Calvary, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, left the pen of David and was on a piece of paper? Let me show you 10 things of suffering, 10 aspects of the suffering of Jesus from Psalm 22. First, forsaken by God, right here in this first verse. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. He wasn't heard. He was forsaken because our sins were upon him. 
A thousand years before it happened, David wrote of it in this psalm. We find the words in Mark 15 and in the New Testament account of what took place on the cross. He was forsaken by God. What suffering for the Son of God. What suffering for the one that God had said repeatedly in the New Testament during his life, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, had been forsaken by that Father. The one that he was in such close communion and fellowship with constantly was now broken and separated. Number two is in verses six and seven. Despised and scorned by men, though the Lord of glory. I read verses six and seven. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Mocking the Lord Jesus Christ. So number two of the sufferings of our Lord for our sins is here in verses 6 through 8. He was despised and scorned, though he was the Lord of glory a reproach of men, and despised of the people. What people? The enemies of Israel? He came unto his own, and his own received him not. His people, his own nation, the Messiah they had been looking for, for the entirety of their existence, was there. He performed all the miracles that you would ever need to be convinced that he was the Messiah. But they scorned him, rejected him, despised him, and he's treated like a worm instead of just an ordinary man. Pilate would say, who do you want released to you? Barabbas or this man Jesus? They wanted Barabbas. A reproach of men. Sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some spiritual. Some emotional. Some physical. Overwhelming suffering on all levels. Number three, it's in verse 11. He was alone and had no helpers. You think you've ever been lonely? Verse 11, be not far from me, part of his prayer to his father, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. No one to help him. In the garden of Gethsemane, his apostles all fled. He was left alone. On trial, No one spoke up for him. They all spoke against him. No one was with him. No one to help. Where were we? Running away and hiding. Afraid to confess him. Betraying him with curses and oaths like Peter did. Number three, he was alone with no helpers. Of course, these could be developed further. But just think about the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ was alone. Where were the thousands that had been fed, the thousands that had been healed, the thousands that had heard him preached? Where were they? Number 12, verse 12 is number four, strong and ferocious enemies. Many bulls have compassed me. He was being circled. Pilate's judgment hall, Herod's judgment hall, all around him. 360 degrees, encircled, 
strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round, walking around him, mocking him, punching him in the face, blindfolding him. Strong, ferocious enemies. What's the worst enemy you've had? And what did they do to you compared to this? Death without a crime. Torture before death. What form of death? Lethal injection where you don't feel anything? Or a death of crucifixion that took hours? Strong and ferocious enemies. Number five, verse 14 tells us that his bones were out of joint. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax that is melted in the midst of my bowels, but I want the first half. All my bones are out of joint. It's number five. He was suspended from his hands and his feet and dropped into place on that cross, nailed to it in the ground, suspended in the air between heaven and earth, and all of his bones were being pulled apart while he was in that position. He tells us in the first person, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. Have you ever had a shoulder separation? Or fingers out of joint? All my bones are out of joint, being pulled apart, hanging on the cross. Number five, thank you, blessed God, for inspiring David, the father of Jesus, 1,000 years before the crucifixion, to write these things in the first person about our Lord. This is what he did for you and what he did for me. Again in verse 14, number six, his heart melted like wax. My heart is like wax. No strength to it. It's soft. It's pliable. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. The strength that we have to lift a weight, to run a distance, to do a task, the, the power that generates out from us as the... If you get a pump in a muscle, where do you think the pump came from? Everything flows out of your heart beating strong, but when your heart is suppressed and you're losing life, and life is flowing out of you, and you're expiring and getting weaker and weaker, your heart is melted in you. There is no strength or power. It's being taken away. And until we've died, we don't even really know what we're talking about. But if you've ever been very, very tired physically, you knew that there was an aching sensation here rather than a strength sensation here. When there's a strength sensation here, you know, bring something on, you'll attack it. But the other side is terrible. And it's right here being described by our Lord in the second half of this verse, my heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. Number seven is in verse 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. Dried up. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. He's describing his overall physical strength is gone. It's like a dried piece of pottery. His thirst is so great, his tongue is sticking to the roof of his mouth. My, my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Dusty and dry and thirsty, 
He says, I thirst in the New Testament. Here he tells us a little bit about what it felt like and what caused him to ask for something to drink. He was dried up and thirsting, and his tongue was so dry it was sticking in his mouth. Number eight is in verse 16. They pierced my hands and my feet. He describes the nails being driven through his hands and his feet. He is still referring to himself in the first person. They have pierced my hands and my feet. It's the Lord Jesus Christ telling us through the pen of his father David about what it was like to die on the cross. And he died on the cross for you and me. And this is the son of David. This is the one that would take the government of David upon his shoulders and the zeal of the Lord of hosts would perform it and he would rule the world and the universe. And he's in this predicament and he's under this suffering for you and for me and our sins. Number nine is in verses 17 and 18. He is naked, stripped naked in public. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. I am just hanging there naked in front of everyone. Number 10, verses 20 and 21 are about the devil. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Singular. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. And we see in these two verses what Jesus told us during his life, that Satan was after him and had nothing in him and was pursuing him while he was alive and at this point in his life, before he died. These are ten descriptions from Psalm 22. Now, it, it changes here at the 22nd verse. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. And Jesus preached to his brethren, and he sang hymns with them. And then it goes on to, to describe the glory of the salvation and what we that are saved ought to do back toward him. And look at what verse 31 says. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. Yes. He hath done this. He hath done this. And he told us about it in the first person through his father David. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness to a people that shall be born. Ten things. Forsaken by God, despised and scorned by men, alone with no helpers, Strong, ferocious enemies like bulls around him, all of his bones out of joint, his heart melted like wax in the midst of him, his strength gone dried up with a dry tongue sticking to his jaws, pierced hands and feet, stripped naked and suspended in public view, and Satan pursuing his soul. But our Lord Jesus won the victory. Amen. But he wants us to remember his death till he comes for us. So we're going to sing five more songs selected by families for us to remember that death. <laughs>